house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. for writers Mrs. Parker. New York in the Roaring Twenties. Cops are here. Everybody speak easy. The playground of a celebrated circle of friends. You almost look like a man today, Edna. So do you, Alec. <laughs> At the center of the circle was the beautiful and irrepressible Dorothy Parker. Mrs. Parker, this is Will Rogers. Never liked a man I didn't meet. <laughs> Everyone wanted to know what was on Mrs. Parker's mind. Oh, dear, dear. Is the subject in danger of turning to sex? But no one ever guessed what was in her heart. Hello and welcome to the This Hat Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast LARPing in animal suits with Brendan Gleeson. Every week in this, on This Hat Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died and we're here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here as always with the Lee Israel to my Dorothy Parker, Joe Reed. I'm I'm writing your biography. Is that what's going on? You're the <laughs> you're the superstar, and I'm the fabulist who's uh, who's copying your letters as my own. Is that what's uh, going basically? On? Basically, I struggled yeah. to come up with a joke for this one because I thought that this would be an incredibly joke heavy movie, and it's not like there's not punchlines, but it was much right. more dramatic and emotionally affecting than I was maybe thinking it was knowing who, what little I know of this subject before watching this movie. Right. Wait, uh, wait, right. wait. You guys hadn't seen it yet? No, I hadn't I seen had. this. I'd been saving this movie to watch for the show. Oh my God. I had watched this in high school though. So it's been like a long time since I've seen this. Oh, movie. this is, this yeah. is one of my faves as, as a depressed girl. It's a, it's a big <laughs> depressed girl movie. Oh, <laughs> depressed uh, writer girl. Yes. Um, depressed. It's really, I, I felt it's those me. Vibes myself. Um, yeah. I used listeners. to do a Dorothy Parker impression. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it anymore. Hold on to that because we will make you do that on mic. We will force will, you to no. do that. Listeners, uh, Jordan Searles is back. Hooray! Yeah. Hooray! A momentous occasion. Your fourth episode with us. Uh, we've wow. previously done Cadillac Records, Lee Daniels the Butler, and Holy Smoke! Exclamation point. <sighs> That's a trio. That's a trilogy right there. And we've been wanting to do this for a while because I remember a while ago, you and I in conversation, I had mentioned that I had not seen it and you had mentioned that you loved it. And then we've been trying to get this episode happening for a while. And here we are finally here to talk about it. Yeah. And I know it's a movie you love. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I just love Jennifer Jason Lee. She can really. Do you like revisit this one a lot? Is this one that you've seen like a bunch of times? This is I've I've seen it a good number of times. Yeah, Yeah. sometimes I'm just looking at like certain scenes or things that I want to remember. Like if I wanted to remember, does Matthew Broderick finger her under the table? He sure does. (laughs) (laughs) He definitely does. He definitely does. Uh, we remember the Algonquin round table for many things, but that is one of the things that we remember it for now is that, yes. Under table fingering. Um, yeah. I noticed, I wanted to bring this up because I really made a note of the fact as I'm watching this movie, and it's not like something that's like, 
you'll never guess. But, like, there is... The main cast of this movie is just a whole bunch of second-generation Hollywood stars. Like, it's very, you know, nepo-concentrated in this movie, where you're watching this movie and you're like, oh, right, like, I'm watching, you know... Campbell Scott, whose parents are George C. Scott and Colleen Dewhurst, uh, talked to Sam Robards, whose parents are Jason Robards and Lauren Bacall. And, like, did you know that the Jason and Jennifer Jason Lee is named after Jason Robards because her parents were friends with... No, uh, I didn't know that. That is, according to Wikipedia, which is now, you know, I've decided is Bible truth. Um, But, like, Gwyneth is, of course, in this. And Martha Plimpton, who I didn't realize was Keith Carradine's daughter until I was doing research. Who is in this movie. And Matthew Broderick's parents were actors, although not, like, incredibly famous actors. But, like, Nick Cassavetes is in this movie. And, of course, his parents are John Cassavetes and Jenna Rollins. Rebecca Miller, daughter of Arthur Miller, is in this movie. So, like, it's very... Which I think contributes a little bit. It's not like the Algonquin Roundtable where all these, like, you know... uh, sons and daughters of of famous people but it does I think feel there's nepo some, culture though it does it, it at least feels like there is a leisure class of people who like in the middle of the day can just like go and gather at the algonquin and have drinks in the middle of the day and just sort of like do their thing that i think lends itself to a nepo baby culture maybe <laughs> i don't know um we can talk about that but i just thought i i was i was struck by that that like all of these and like nothing thrills me more than finding out that people who i didn't realize were related to each other are related to each other i found out earlier today that stanley tucci's sister was uh on my beloved soap opera another world as like a kind of famous recast for a while and i had no idea oh my God. that they were related to each other. So I like went down the rabbit hole of remembering who the brunette Amanda Corey was and what she got up to uh, on Another World, pay- played by uh, the Stanley Tucci sister. So like this was finding out about Martha Plimpton uh, being Keith Carradine's daughter was like found gold. Yeah, that's 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 it. a Carradine. Isn't isn't a Car- isn't the another Carradine in this? I feel like there was a scene with Keith. Well, Keith Carradine is actually yeah in it. He yeah plays- he plays that politician. He plays Roy Rogers, I want to say. What? Right? Yes. There's that one scene where Roy Rogers is There's so many people in this, and, like, the Altman Mm -hmm. effect is, like, in full Will Rogers, not Roy Rogers, Jesus Christ. I couldn't always tell who people were, and, like, I don't say that as a negative, because it definitely, you know, uh, uh, is a vibe in this movie that I appreciated, and what felt intentional. It's a very Alan Rudolph thing. Like he loves he loves to have these like giant casts for his films and all of them are, yeah. you know, usually like period pieces. I was I was honestly surprised Geraldine Chaplin wasn't in it cuz she tends to be in a lot of his movies. Yes. Yeah. The only I other... do need to make it clear that when I said Roy Rogers I meant Will Rogers, <laughs> which is like I genuinely feel like was a is a error that is made in a West Wing episode at one point. Um, but, like, so pe- 8 billion people don't come yelling at me. Yes, I understand the difference between Will Rogers and Roy Rogers. Us. So, yes. Um, the... What, what was that? What did I just get really excited about? Um, oh, I'm sorry. I totally... No, 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 no. Geraldine Page? Geraldine, oh, yes, Geraldine yes, Chaplin, thank rather? you. Thank you. Geraldine Chaplin, yeah. who the only other yeah. Alan Rudolph movie... I think... No, I've seen Afterglow. I just remember nothing about Afterglow. Same. Um the only other Alan Rudolph movie that I have seen or can recall is Remember My Name, where she just, she 
she is a woman scorned, but she is so fucking cool. Just like the image of yeah. her in that movie is so fucking cool. Um, the poster of it that I'm looking at right now is amazing, where it's just her in profile with a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. She's so like, fucking cool in that movie. With sunglasses. Yeah. yeah. Joe, I, I think you'd like that movie. That's a good movie. I, it's going down on my list. Oh my god, like, you have, yes, just, yes, you have to see it. <laughs> Yeah, just because like you will forever stand Geraldine Chaplin uh, if you didn't already. Um, yeah, yeah. The Alan Rudolph of it all is very interesting because he sort of famously came up through the ranks with Robert Altman. He was uh, assistant director on Nashville and on The Long Goodbye, and Altman uh, is a producer on this movie. And like from my understanding, was like a pretty involved hands-on producer. I saw a, a career retrospective interview that Jennifer Jason Lee had done around the time of The Hateful Eight, and uh, the interviewer says, when you've done two Altman movies, you've done Shortcuts in Kansas City, and she said, well, three, because he was the producer on Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle. So, like, just, I think that fact tells you a lot about how he was sort of perceived on that movie, and you, like, this feels very Altman-esque. I don't know if Rudolph's other movies feel as as Altman as this one does. I would the, say specifically in the group scenes because I think this movie spends or has as much focus on Dorothy Parker in a way that I've never really seen Altman do, sure. even when you sure. have like a McCabe character in one of his movies or even like That's, three yes. women. I don't think he's ever really devoted a focus to a central character in the way that this Popeye. movie does. Popeye. Wow. Okay. I mean, <laughs> lest we forget Popeye. The classic Popeye. <laughs> gotcha there. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's really fascinating the way that everything's kind of around her, but it also feels really organic because these are these are all her friends and she likes and she likes to drink and she likes to fuck and she can do that with all her friends. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also she likes to sort of uh use her her wit and her, you know, verbiage to puncture her friends too, which she is quite good at. And that's sort of a lot of these scenes with the Algonquin round table is everyone's taking their jabs, right? Everyone's taking their, you know, uh, little uh, bone mows and, 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 and one-ups and that kind of a thing. And those are absolutely my favorite scenes of the movie, and I kind of wish almost that we would get more of them because there's such an energy, I think, to those scenes where you're sort of going around the table and you're trying to figure out, you now, like, which one of you, like, who were the ones who founded the new yorker and who is the one who wrote giant and who is the one who you know who were the ones who were writing for vanity fair i texted <laughs> i texted katie rich while i was watching this because it's like when people mention Condé nast and they're not talking about a company or a building they're talking about like the person Condé nast i'm like oh okay like we're now we're into it yeah now that i i feel like the last time i watched this was like before i was like more entrenched in media so like i was sure. i was freelancing but i didn't like know everything and so like now rewatching it and being like oh Condé nast was a person <laughs> right 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 exactly right totally not just a name on a freelance check you get every once in a while yeah exactly um, but yeah, the ensemble I think is really interesting. I, like I said, I'd seen this movie, 
but back when I was in high school, and I think I had forgotten, um, it's not like Gwyneth Paltrow has a huge role in this movie, but she's, like, on fire when she is. <laughs> she's, like... She's playing the woman she would once become. Because <laughs> it's like... The, she's putting on an accent in this movie, but I'm pretty sure the yeah. way she speaks in this movie is her normal speaking voice now. I don't know if we've ever heard Gwyneth Paltrow's normal speaking voice. Even the goop voice, I feel like, is a is some sort of creation. Like, she's sort of in goop mode. Um, and I don't... That is not a... That's not a dig. You know I love Gwyneth in, uh, in goop mode. <laughs> uh, the only cult I've ever thought about joining. Um, <laughs> eighth Gwyneth. Gwyneth. Shockingly, we do not have a six-timers club to do for this episode. Shockingly the so. The number of people that we have in this movie. It's a, it's a huge cast. I mean, you'll go through it when you're giving the boilerplate, but... Um, I think some of my faves, I could have done with a whole movie of Lily Taylor as Edna Ferber. I thought she was <laughs> a scream. Like she was so like dialed into that character. And it's that, that's that very sort of remember Lily Tomlin in um, tea with Mussolini. Yes. When we did tea with Mussolini. And it's just like, she's a lady who wears pants and like, that's her. And like everybody <laughs> just sort of like dials. And of course, like the, you know, the semiotics of that is, of course, just, just like, well, yeah, she's a lesbian. But it's, you know, the, the, the revolutionary act of wearing pants in public company. You know what a I mean? Like, woman kind of a woman in pants. A woman in pants. Could you imagine? <laughs> that was the headline in the, in the New Yorker. <laughs> uh, that, uh, that Martha Plimpton. It's Plimpton and Sam Robards, right? Who are the ones who found the New Yorker? Because they're the ones at the one party talking about, like, we're thinking about starting a magazine. We're not quite sure what to call it. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. That is yeah. them. Yeah. Um, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. There is also a musical number that stars the aforementioned yeah. Gwyneth, Heather Graham, Jane Adams. And mm-hmm. Martha Plimpton and more. There's a full uh, era-specific musical number uh, that uh, yes. I don't feel like the people know enough about. I wanted like almost like the background on that. Like, was that like would they just like put on little like Follies shows or something like that? I, I, that's all. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, that's fun. What a time to be alive! Like, I know that like history did not treat, of course, you know. Uh, uh, people well the farther you go back in nostalgia is a trap and yet you almost want to like import aspects of the past and one of them is like oh famous people would just like sit around a table and you know throw jabs at each other in the middle of the day and then put on a follies like okay like, I desperately have Do we wanted this, on this. The timeline today? like I just <laughs> want to be just a bunch of writers, all of us having a cocktail, talking. Yes, like that's just that's so beautiful. We need more of that. Someone's getting fingered Wallace under Sean. the table. Right. I, I yes, I would love Sean to get to fingered under the table. <laughs> all of it. All of it. Yes, Wallace Sean bringing in the big round table. He was so proud of himself. It was so cute. He really was. Good job, Wallace Sean. And then yeah. we put on a show. Yeah, Except uh, the show we put on, our podcast. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> true. That's true. We are, uh, yeah, we're, God. I don't want to get down into that rabbit hole of, like, well, our podcast, the new Algonquin Roundtable, because we will never get Let's out. Let's get into the, the plot description. That we have this huge ensemble, and I'm sure we'll talk about more of them. Uh, and then we're mostly uh, here to talk about Jennifer Jason Lee today, the reason why this is uh, this had Oscar Buzz movie. Mm. Um, Indeed. 
so yeah, let's uh, let's get into it. Uh, Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle, written and directed by Alan Rudolph, also written uh, by Randy Sue Coburn, starring deep breath. I'm not even going to get all of them in there, but here we go. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, Campbell Scott, Matthew Broderick, Peter Gallagher, Jennifer Beals, Andrew McCarthy, Wallace Shawn, Martha Plimpton, Lily Taylor, Gwyneth Paltrow, Sam Robards, Jane Adams, Rebecca Miller, Stephen Baldwin, and actually is kind of good Stephen Baldwin. Yeah. Um, Heather mm-hmm. Graham, Nick, Nick Cassavetes, Keith Carradine, John Favreau, and even Stanley Tucci when he still had hair true oh, Stanley Tucci I've Stanley been thinking Tucci. I've been thinking about him so much lately because I've been I've been watching the Sopranos and I was thinking about his affair with Edie Falco which I, I don't know why it just randomly pops into we were my talking brain about every once our text in a while we were just day. talking about it <laughs> Joe you need to fill in the rest of the story for Jordan and the listeners too because it oh. gets even wilder Oh my god. Well, so I was watching Stanley Tucci's show where he goes to Italy and goes to various restaurants in Italy uh, for a thing for my job. And watching it, I, of course, as I often do, just sort of like travel onto the Wikipedia page of uh, the person I'm watching. So I'm reading up on, of course, like zoom right into personal life tab because that is where all the hop and stuff is. And. Stanley Tucci's personal life is like low key way more fascinating than most people realize where like his first wife I'm trying to get this right speaking of Campbell Scott by the way his first wife was formerly married to Campbell Scott's brother and I believe they got married because like Stanley Tucci and Campbell Scott together were directed big nights so they were like you know professionally and, you know, I imagine, you know, we're friends in real life and probably were after, because I think they directed Big Night after Tucci married Campbell Scott's former sister-in-law. Um, and, and of course, as I said, like, Campbell Scott and his brother are the kids of George C. Scott and Colleen Dewhurst. Um, so then Tucci's married to the first wife, cheats on the first wife with Edie Falco when they're both on Broadway doing Frankie and Johnny and the Claire de Lune. Uh, leaves her for Edie Falco at that moment, is with Edie Falco for a little bit, goes back to his wife after that. Then the wife... After her cancer diagnosis, which is, of course, tragic. Yes. uh, She dies of cancer in... 2000... It's like 2000... Somewhere in the aughts, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Then... Through his Devil Wears Prada co-star Emily Blunt meets her sister, marries her after meeting the sister at Emily Blunt and John Krasinski's wedding. She shows up in the in the uh, Italy show, by the way. She seems very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last thing on his personal tab in the Wikipedia thing is that, like a few years ago, a couple years ago, he like casually mentioned that like he had and recovered from the like oral cancer, Michael Douglas, cunnilingus cancer. Uh, oh you know my what I mean? God. Like he had, uh, <laughs> yeah, and is like fine. So like that's a life, man. Like in addition to all his professional accomplishments, that's a whirlwind of a personal. Time. In addition, so, only love it. Go in ahead. addition to him naming Ving Rhames. <laughs> Oh shit! I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah. What a life. What a man. Okay. Seriously. As one of the many who are currently rewatching all of the Impossible Missions, um, that 
that franchise is worth it for Ving Rhames. Ving Rhames is so wonderful in these movies that otherwise yes. I am I forget everything about as soon as I finish watching the movie. Yeah, they don't seem yeah, like your kind of movie, so it's just so it's fascinating to me that you're watching them. Good for you. I mean, well, I, I we were talking about this before uh, we got on uh, the call, but I'm watching them partly because I can't distinguish these movies apart. Like, uh, I should rewatch them to at least try to parse what happens in what movie. <laughs> I my my general like rule is that I love the John Woo one. I like the Brad Bird one. And I keep on trying to start Fallout, and I never finish it, which which I said tonight that I'm going to watch it all the way. I usually get, like, halfway through, yeah. and then something else happens. It's, like, right when the, um, he, um, the Cavill boy, he he puts his fists up. Like, it's always yeah, at around that time. Yeah, his fists up. Yeah. There's, yeah. like, the showstopper stunt in every movie. In yes. Ghost Protocol, yeah. it's the skyscraper. In yes. uh, Rogue Nation, it's the airplane. And in Fallout, yeah. it's Henry Cavill punching the air. Yeah. Like, recharging his, his forearms. Yeah. yeah. The thing with those <laughs> franchises, though, that start out as they're hopping from director to director, and then they settle on one director that they like and stick with it. That's That happened with the Harry Potter movies, right? Where you had your your Chris Columbus movies, but then it was like Quaron and Mike Newell, and then it settles on uh, David Yates. And then uh, the Mission Impossible movies, where it's like, you got your De Palma, you got your John Woo, you got your J.J. Abrams, you got your Brad Bird, and then it's like, well, now it's just McQuarrie and Tom Cruise, essentially, as like, no disrespect to Christopher McQuarrie, but like, Tom Cruise is the person in charge of these movies. Oh, absolutely. And you got the same thing with the Fast and the Furious movies a little bit, although those ones, like, Justin Lin was an authorial voice from a pretty early stage, at least. Um, And it's like, and I like all three of those franchises for as much as you have to sort of put Harry Potter in a box now and, and, you know, whatever. Um, But I think as they go along, they just get, if not, not more anonymous, at least harder to remember what part of this these three movies directed by the same guy are from what movie yeah you know what i mean yeah. it's like i can remember the brad bird stuff i can remember the john woo stuff certainly um all of the macquarie's kind of blend for me yeah yeah i feel the same way i mean the, i feel like the only thing that everyone agrees on well i thought that everyone agreed to fuck the jj abrams one it's just ugly to look at i like the jj abrams how okay you, i go back you, and watch it because i used to defend the jj abrams one abrams one i watched it last night it sucks like there's uh, good stuff about it but i've seen like, it, it plenty it kinda, of times I, think, I really liked it i like i like the romance aspect of it i just i hate yeah. how it looks I just really mm-hmm. hate how it looks. Like, if I could get over that, maybe I could enjoy it more. <laughs> I know the big the big criticism of it at the time was like, well, it just looks like a really long Alias episode. And I'm like, that's fine. Like, <laughs> I'll take a really long Alias episode. That's fine by me. I've still never watched that. I feels have like It feels like a big gap. I think you'd like. Okay. I highly recommend Alias. Okay. Um, it gets insane by the end. As, you know... You might expect. Maybe when Into, I... like, the fifth season of a show about, like, international spy stuff. <laughs> like, of course, by the fifth season, it's going to get insane. Yeah. I'm almost done with The Sopranos, so I'll I'll be starting something else. I've been considering Desperate Housewives because I've actually never watched that. But... You want to ah. talk about a show that gets bananas, <laughs> like, three episodes in. That show is unhinged. 
changed. Yeah. Um, I've been doing so much uh, return to reality TV. I am not to be trusted on a recommendation right now because I'm like, go back and watch Project Runway. Um, oh, well, highly recommended. Now that all of the Project Runways are on Peacock, like, could not recommend more highly enough to go back to the very beginning and just start from there. If you it's need a great. really good, somewhat cringy, um, you know, time capsule of 2004, go back and watch Project yeah. Runway because it's like, multiple years and seasons of 2004 culture even though they passed 2004 um yeah yeah <laughs> i think we stranded you in the middle of your boilerplate though no yes. this was all necessary the- good yes. conversation okay. yeah um <laughs> okay. uh, mrs parker and the vicious circle premiered in competition at the 1994 Cannes film festival i.e the Cannes film festival that uh pulp fiction premiered um yes. and overwhelmed any conversation of any other movies etc we'll get into it um and then it opened limited thanksgiving weekend of 1994 speaking of vicious circle uh, uh tables around which many people were sitting. Welcome to Thanksgiving weekend. (laughs) (laughs) The ultimate vicious circle. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Jordan is our guest. You are tasked with giving a 60 second plot description of the film. Are you ready? Uh, Sure, yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Then your 60 second plot description for Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle starts now. It's a film about Dorothy Parker, the poet, the writer, the screenwriter, the playwright, all of those things. She's very depressed. She drinks a lot. She goes through a lot of men. We meet her friends. We all spend time together. It's great. And then it's sad. And then it ends. That's very true. Boom. Boom. That's it. Uh, I wasn't expecting it to get so sad. But, like, I mean, she didn't live ultimately a happy life. But I do think that there is real the way that it balances and like kind of hopscotches through time, I do actually think is pretty interesting, much more interesting than the type of biopic. I think we would get from a less interesting filmmaker. Yeah. Um, and a less I was bummed star. out by the Hollywood stuff towards the end where it was like, like young writers just sort of like looking at her and being like, who's the sad old lady. And it's like, listen, you don't know. Yeah, yeah. She wrote for Vanity Fair. Yeah, she sure did. She wrote the screenplay for fucking the 1937 A Star Is Born. Like, yeah, show some respect Oscar there. Nominee. Yeah, yeah. She- uh, not okay, but the Oscar story for that one is kind of fascinating because that movie gets nominated for a bunch of awards. Uh, for a bunch of Oscars for 1930s. This is the the Star is Born that's Janet Gaynor and... I like that Frederick one. March? Yeah. The first one that by name is a Star is Born because is a it's Star an adaptation before of... After, after What Price Hollywood. Yes. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. But before the Judy Garland, yes. James Mason was. So it's nominated for, what is this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight Academy Awards. Well, one of those was an honorary award. But anyway, the only competitive one that it wins is a screenplay award for best original story which was for William Wellman and Robert Carson so it wins for best original story but loses for best adaptation which is what Dorothy Parker and Alan Campbell uh, are nominated for so it wins 
for the story, but not the screenplay. This was before those things were. I need a full explainer on every year's right. breakdown between story, adaptation, story. Like what all? Right. Because what's an original story and what's an adaptation? Like what are you picking out of? Like what? Right. What yeah. the hell is going on here? Yeah. So uh, I feel bad. It sounds like they got screwed out of an Oscar. So. Um, yeah, they definitely Bummer. did, and that and that's a and that's a good movie. Like when I I when I marathoned all of them because I wanted to watch every single one. Like I was surprised by how much I liked it. It's not my favorite one, but I think it's good. I've never seen it. Have you ever seen it, Chris? I haven't. I wanted to do the full like run of all of those movies, and I, I was yeah. not able to. Mostly because the Judy Garland one is nine hundred hours long. I know the Bradley Cooper Lady Gaga one has like the actual screenplay credits are insane because they have to acknowledge the earlier versions. Does it does it go back as far as this one? Does does Dorothy Parker get one of those like? based on a story by credit or anything like I'm, that in that one? Or is, I mean, is that she, she should. I don't know. Because I remember that, like, Joan Didion and John Gregory Dunn mm-hmm. are credited because they had done the screenplay for the Barbra Streisand one. And who is it who had does... Who's the the big name on the Judy Garland one? There's, um... Fuck, hold on. Now I gotta look Yeah, thank up. you for looking um, that up, because that's gonna bother, bug me. It's somebody, right? It's like... Clickety clack, clickety clack. Everybody listen. <laughs> um, uh, Moss Hart, of course, of uh, of Rogers and Hart. What a fame. legacy of attached screenwriters of I'm saying, these right? movies. Yeah, that's Hollywood, baby. So yeah, you get those scenes in Mrs. Parker towards the end, and she's this is after she's sort of gotten the word that Benchley has died, has sort of drank himself to death, which. She doesn't feel unresponsible for, considering she's the one who sort of, like, nudges him into, you know, picking up whatever bathtub gin they're all drinking in the back of the Algonquin. Like, that scene is very funny, where they, like, go into the bathroom, and it's like, that's where the still is. Do you know (laughs) what I mean? Like, this was during uh, Prohibition times. So, um, that scene, too, where she gets uh, Andrew McCarthy as her husband backhands her and then she finds out that Jennifer Beals who was Benchley's mm-hmm. playing Benchley's wife was in there the whole time. I think Jennifer Beals is actually quite good in this movie. She I is. She was, uh, She's kind of perfectly cast because just her like presence feel it's supposed to feel she seems like a little out of place. Yeah. She's a little prissy yeah. for this or Mm-hmm. That's not the right word, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. She's she's the wife. She likes the home. She doesn't want her mm-hmm. husband to drink, and everybody is so weird to her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dorothy says the meanest thing to her, and then kind of like walks it back because even she realizes where they're talking about how talking about because Benchley and and his wife had a few children, and and Dorothy didn't have any children, and. When the subject of children comes up, Dorothy says something to Jennifer Beale's character where it's like, oh, if they ever made uh, having children illegal, you'd be locked up uh, and they'd throw in oh, something yeah. like it's, it's, <laughs> and it's and it's and she knows it's too mean because she knows that like she can say something like that to Gwyneth Paltrow's character or Martha Plimpton or whoever who are in this circle of mean old bitches, you know what I mean? Oh, and like, But Jennifer Beals bitch. is, like, she's not part Brackets of that, and that was too, 
that was too nasty. So she sort of like walks it back, um, which I thought was an interesting little moment. Yeah, yeah, that was a cute moment. I mean, cute. <laughs> Cute, cute right. in a writerly sense, yeah. Right, right, exactly. Oh my god, can we um, talk about An- can we talk about Andrew McCarthy, Mister Bratpack sure. over here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> this fucking guy. I every single time I watch this because I because you know I was a very big like John Hughes person, eighties person. Seeing him in this was so weird. That was like maybe the first time I was like, oh, he's an actor, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> This movie, the cast of this movie is kind of an interesting cross, like crossroads between, because you have your sort of 80s Brat Pack and Brat Pack adjacent people where it's like Matthew Broderick, Andrew McCarthy, Jennifer Beals is of course very sort of like 80s, 80s coded, right? Between with Flashdance Mm -hmm. and that whole thing. Yeah. And then you have this, I think 1994, as we'll find out when we're talking about the awards uh, stuff for this movie, 1994 really is the first year of like the American indie scene asserting itself. Mm-hmm. This is the early day of the fine line pictures. And so you get like Campbell Scott and Lily Taylor and James Legros and Nick Cassavetes and these Jane Adams, you know what I mean? Like these actors who really come to be defined by that Wallace Shawn. The idols, Jane Adams. (laughs) (laughs) Jane Adams is eternal. I I mean, like, if there's anything getting that would get me to watch the idol, it's her presence and maybe divine Troy Randolph, but it's, it's a, it's a wild show. And it's so interesting that it's ending tomorrow after when there's just no way to wrap up anything in the there time that they have. There were supposed to be more episodes. I think they, like, there condensed supposed to be, the remaining episodes. There were supposed it's, to be six, and then when they um, got rid of Amy Zimitz and then rewrote the whole thing, right, it, they, right. HBO only gave them five, because I assume because they had wasted enough money. But it was just <laughs> yeah. weird that they just didn't pull the plug, because what they put out is... So yeah. embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, there isn't there there were only five episodes produced. So they didn't like leave nothing's been left on a shelf. Oh, but that, the I original order a lot of people like well they, it got reported in a couple of different ways. Yeah, it got reported it improperly, but yeah, it was 6 when it was Amy and then when it wasn't Amy it was 5 and it was clear that they were trying to like recoup costs, but there's just nothing because like Sam like essentially just like rewrote it. Like I remember it was Abel who had the issue. He was just like it's too female focused, which is like Okay. Coded. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, but then it was Sam who rewrote it, and he like rewrote it. I assume pretty quickly, and like you can tell because it doesn't make any sense. And the fourth episode is really the only episode that works as an episode of television, and now it's and now it's almost over. Like you could. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's. I said to somebody, I said the last time an HBO show bombed this hard, like horses died. Like oh my was, god, luck. Like, Luck. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, yeah. It luck and yeah. luck and vinyl and now they get to <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And now we, which I mean, uh, yeah, I never even watched like a second of I've never watched a second of vinyl. I've at least seen some of luck, but vinyl just seems like not even a real show to me. Right. I watched the I think I watched the pilot of vinyl. I don't think I watched any of luck. Um <laughs> 
but yeah, it's rare. Like HBO's track record is legit. Like for whatever's going to happen in the future with, you know, that Zazlav that man discovery and yeah, yeah. Um, but like up till now, we could at least say that like HBO's track record is really good to the point where it, it's exceedingly rare that they flop like they have with the idol, which makes it almost all the more like juicy and delicious when it does happen because it's like oh my god, like quality control at that place is usually so good and. They just they just let Sam run wild, and I do believe yeah. that Jane is a leftover from when Amy was doing it. Because I she well yeah 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 definitely because feels she's, that way. Uh, she's in uh, she dies tomorrow right she died one of my favorite movies yeah. she dies tomorrow yeah. she's yeah. great in that I mean she's always she great is. But she is girl the, the timing of she dies tomorrow coming out in the first several months of the COVID lockdown. Last movie I saw in the theater. I saw... Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Yes, I saw it at Nighthawk. It was like an early screening like they just like let me watch it and I was like the only one wow. in the theater it was beautiful I watched it <laughs> in when I was already locked down and watching it I'm like oh this is hitting this is, this is hitting home for real mm-hmm. uh good movie though yeah I really liked it. yeah yeah it's I, I want Amy to come back. Amy Amy would totally I would trust Amy with a Dorothy Parker esque kind of story. Fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. So are you kidding me? Absolutely. She knows depression and so does Caitlin Cheel. Caitlin Cheel loves loves a depressing woman role. <laughs> mm-hmm. I actually wrote down as I was watching this, because we you know there's all this talk about like what even gets made as a movie anymore and, and I'm so against are you know whenever I hear that like a top filmmaker is following up a film with like well now they're making a TV show I'm always just like god damn it but a, a concept like Mrs. Parker in the Vicious Circle would work really well as a TV show because my whole thing with like movies that should be TV or could be TV is can you make it really episodic and like with the the Algonquin Roundtable every episode could be a different person in the round table. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You have some sort of like through line. This movie already like, is pretty episodic so, for a movie. It could be so like yeah. a, a TV show like this, you could go for like multiple seasons and be real episodic with it. And I think it would be great. God, I would love that. Cause I just, yeah, right? I just love this world. I love writers who take their work seriously and are trying, mm-hmm. actively trying not to create content, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, yeah. they want to create Art, they want to write well. They have convictions. I, I feel it makes me feel a million years old to be. And I'm just, I'm only thirty, but I'm like watching this, and I'm just like, can we just, can we, can we go back? I want to go back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yet, it still is like you watching this movie. They all operate like that, and yet also, they're they're so particular with what they do that sometimes it's just like, well, what have you done this year? And it's like, well, I wrote an essay, you know? Yeah. I mean? it's like, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes the output is like so overweight, outweighed by the sort of fraternization and just the, like, I think for them, the main event was this, you know, round table. Like that's where the real sort of like the discourse. You know, yes, mm-hmm. totally. Um, yeah, I God, I those absolutely were my favorite scenes. Uh, the and Jennifer Jason Lee. We should talk about Jennifer. I was gonna say. Yes. Well, I was gonna try to pivot us towards Jennifer Jason Lee. Yes, who is in a real fucking run in this mm-hmm. stretch of the '90s. Not only of just really 
tremendous performances in movies that could not be more different from each other, playing characters that could not be more different than each other. And I really felt it with this, you know, of her playing this living person who was a very particular kind of person that you would not immediately jump to thinking Jennifer Jason Lee for this role. Um, but I think she's tremendous. It's the first real person she'd ever played in her film career, I'm pretty sure. Uh, as I sort of take a quick scan of uh, her career, she obviously mm-hmm. breaks through as a teenager in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And then, like, 1990 is her big sort of critical uh, blast of a year where she's in both Last Exit to Brooklyn and Miami Blues. Mm-hmm. She gets a bunch of uh, critical acclaim for both of them, gets. I think a New York Film Critics uh, Circle Supporting Actress Award, and then she's in. Well, she does like Backdraft. She's in that movie Rush, which it's her and Jason Patrick as undercover cops. Who get, <laughs> yeah, like, undercover narcotics cops who get hooked on heroin in the course of uh, their operation, and yeah. That feels like a very kind of quintessential Jennifer Jason Lee role of the 90s, right? Where she's just like, just addicted to heroin and so intensely, you know, depicted and whatnot. Um, single white female, 1992, Chef's Kiss. Mm-hmm. Like, what a film, uh, what a picture. What a piece of she wonderful She got some uh, critical award attention for that movie, too, on top of uh, MTV Movie Award attention. I was going to say she wins the MTV Movie <laughs> Award for Best Villain, and rightly so. Um, and then Shortcuts is in, in 1993. She plays the phone sex operator. Uh, for sh- in shortcuts, she's it's her first Altman movie. Although she's talked about how like she Altman's known her since she was a baby. He knew her, uh, her parents, and uh, he's sort of always been a presence in her life. But that was the first Altman movie, and then '94, it's Hudsucker Proxy and Mrs. Parker in the Vicious Circle, both of which were at the Cannes Film Festival mm-hmm. that year in competition. Um, which is uh, which is very interesting, and the reactions to those are kind of very different. Where um, Hudsucker Proxy is to that point, I believe the Coens' most sort of mainstream uh, movie in terms of positioning. Like I know Raising Arizona uh, achieved that to a degree, but like I remember Hudsucker Proxy being in theaters and advertised widely Mm -hmm. when I was, like, a young teenager. And the... Her character... It's interesting that both her 1994 characters have this very affected vocal, you know, stylization. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a little similar. And I feel like she got criticized for it for Hudsucker and got fairly universal critical praise for Mrs. Parker. And I love her in Hudsucker Proxy. She's the like, best maybe part. my favorite element of that yeah. movie. Yeah. I don't love yeah. that movie. I like it. I think it's I think there are certain Cohen's movies that like Big Lebowski where it's like you've been more impressive, fellas, but like I enjoy the at the act of just sort of like sitting down and and watching this film. I think it's um it's a very watchable movie. I think Robbins is it's interesting watching Tim Robbins sort of like operate in that movie where it's like, you really do spend that whole movie being like, are you 
smarter than this character, or are you like using your dumbness to you know to because like Bull Durham's sort of the same way. I will concede I maybe don't love Hut Sucker Proxy because like Tim Robbins is one of my least favorite actors. This is why I haven't seen the player yet because I don't. I'm just like I'm not gonna like it as much as I'm supposed to. Okay. Yeah. Just because, well, this well, is also I don't big... like Tim Robbins as an actor. I think he's bad. Like, oh wow, yeah. yeah I mean, I can see it. Um, I like. I think my favorite from him is Bob Roberts, and like he that he, I also have to see. And he, yeah, yeah and he directed that. So, oh yeah, you got to see it. It's like very. Yeah. It was. I was watching it during like my political movie phase, where I was trying uh-huh. to understand. This was during lockdown. I was trying to understand why people are so obsessed with like the presidency and why they want the president to be their daddy. So I just like yeah. watched a bunch <laughs> of stuff. Bob Bob Roberts is actually. I think politically, I like Tim Robbins more than he is as a performer. Like he's right. got good politics. Sure. So yes, yeah. yeah. I think I actively avoided watching Bob Roberts in uh, quarantine because the 2020 election was so stressing me out that I was like, I can't, like, I need to escape as much as possible. It's so, it's, it's, it's real, it really hits. Like, watching that and a face in the crowd on the same day, which I did. Face in the crowd was great. Yeah, it was, yeah. Good double feature. Um, We've, we've recently talked about Dolores Claiborne on this podcast as well, and that was a great, uh, uh, performance we talked a little bit about i don't want to go too much further out than than mrs parker obviously in 94 but like i think that like 1990 through 1995 era of jennifer jason lee is just banger after banger after banger and it's and really, almost really getting oscar else. nominated after almost getting oscar nominated after almost getting oscar it's nominated. so culminates annoying yeah. well and especially because We've talked about Georgia here before, and we can't do Georgia on this podcast because Mayor Winningham got that uh, nomination. Georgia, but Georgia, Georgia is a good movie. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a, and it's a culmination of her career to that point to a degree where like I don't think people quite realized it. Where she sort of developed that project herself. Her mother wrote the screenplay. She kind of she says she's said that after doing Single White Female, she kind of had like real money for the first time as an actor. She had earned, you know, a paycheck from that movie, and she said she was able to essentially hire her mother to write a screenplay. And she had the idea for Georgia as, you know, something that was somewhat inspired by her own sister who had struggles with, you know, uh, drugs and, and I believe mental illness, although don't quote me. Um, and it sounds like from the way she talks about Georgia that like the authorial voice was her mother's script and, and Jennifer Jason Lee as the person who sort of, you know, um, marshaled this project. And like, that's the kind of thing that like, we talk about the kind of meta narratives of the Oscars. Right. And people get nominated for more than just the performance. It's the, it's, you know, the story that they bring to it. And like, I don't want to do the very simple, simplistic thing of being like, well, if she were a man, that would have all added up to an Oscar nomination. But, like, you do kind of imagine that we've seen these sort of, like, you know, actor pulls this production together themselves and makes it happen. Um, We've seen it with actresses, too. I'm thinking of Salma Hayek and Frida, you know, Mm -hmm. and that led to an Oscar nomination. But it's all the more frustrating that this performance that she gives in Georgia, which was, like, universally praised. um, Yeah, it's really confusing when because I just watched it for the first time. It's really confusing when you see the level of performance that she gives in the movie that it didn't happen. 
Yeah. And it would have been such a great sort of story for her. And she was such a celebrated actress that, like, that was the moment for her. Mm-hmm. And it, it passed without an Oscar nomination. Well, and that 95 Best Actress lineup is insanely competitive. But when you look at all of those performances, it's not Jennifer Jason yeah. Lee's that you think would be the one that right. gets screwed over because it's that kind of towering. Yeah. I also think you could make similar arguments about her performance in Mrs. Parker. Like, maybe Dorothy Parker, even for the 90s, was far removed enough from the culture and maybe seen as more of an intellectual type of figure than a, Mm -hmm. you know, mainstream figure. But, like, this is an actress giving this level of performance and she's playing a former Oscar nominee. She is, Mm -hmm. you know, playing a creative. This movie is explicitly about being a creative person and running in creative circles. Um, Well, and Dorothy Parker is one of those people whose name is kind of a shorthand for a kind of snappy... Mm -hmm cutting wit, right? Like, that's sort of, you know, you say the name Dorothy Parker, and it conjures up uh, an image of a type of of writer, and, like, that, you know, not too many people have that about them, so... Yeah. Yeah, she was very inspiring for me. Like, I remember, I think I watched this maybe for the first time either in high school or, like, early college. I was still in Georgia, and I was, and I became obsessed. I was like, this is the kind of writer I want to be. And it was also, Mm -hmm. and it was, like, kind of a rebellion, too, because, like, the, you know, the witty lady of the time was Tina Fey, and I did appreciate Tina Fey, but I really wanted to not write like her. Sure. (laughs) And so I got very into Dorothy. I can see that, though. And, like, that that kind of, you know, throwback style is very cool. Yeah. We've talked about the 1994 Best Actress race a lot because it's one of the, you know... It's one of the ones we hate. It's one of the more notorious ones, but I sort of, I laid it all out just to sort of, like, give myself a little bit of a better sense of it. And the ultimate lineup for the Oscars, this was, of course, the year that Jessica Lange wins for Blue Sky. We've talked about that enough. I don't uh, think to get in. Okay, Jordan, you are welcome to go on about Jessica Lange and Blue no, Sky. No, it's, we have too much. It's One really, of my least favorite wins. It's, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a bad win. It's a, it's a bad win. And when I, and that was a movie that was on cable all the time. Like, I would just turn on, like, the TV and it would be like, oh, Blue Sky is playing. And I'd just be like, yeah. for some reason, even though I love Tommy Lee Jones and I love Jessica Lang, I don't want to watch this. <laughs> it's yeah. a bad movie. It is. Yes. <laughs> so your other nominees are Jodie Foster for now, probably wins that year if she doesn't already have two Oscars. Miranda Richardson for Tom and Viv. Miranda Richardson was like hot on the buzz of Crying Game and Damage and Enchanted April by that point. Um, Susan Sarandon for The Client, who fucking rules, and that movie fucking rules, and I love that performance, and I love that nomination. And the thing that I always forget, even though we've talked about this before, is she did win the BAFTA <laughs> that year for <laughs> The Client. She's so, also um, riding high on when is she going to finally win an Oscar. Yes. Yes. And this is in the middle of the her... Yeah. And then the big surprise, the one who really didn't hadn't shown up anywhere previously, was Winona Ryder in Little Women, who I think is very good in that movie. And, My pick to um, win. 
I'm glad that she got, and that's a nomination where she had been nominated for The Age of Innocence the year before, and she was, that was her sort of big uh, era of being an Oscar, uh, an Oscar-buzzed actress. Um, I think she'd also gotten a lot of credit for Little Women becoming, like, a Christmas season hit, too, uh, Mm -hmm. partly on her star power. um, Yes. And that certainly helped her nomination happen. So the Golden Globes nominate Lang, Jodie Foster, Miranda Richardson, and then instead of Ryder and Sarandon, they nominate Meryl Streep for The River Wild, a movie we've done on this podcast. Uh, Also, I think she rules. And then Jennifer Jason Leigh for Mrs. Parker. And then in comedy, you have like Jamie Lee Curtis wins for True Lies. And um, I don't think any of the comedy nominees at the Globes that year really had much of an impact on Oscar it was like Emma Thompson in Junior and Gina Davis in <laughs> Speechless. Speechless. She's a political speechwriter uh, with oh, Michael. Oh shit! Keaton. I <laughs> yeah. forgot about Speechless. Um, and then who was it? It's Andy McDowell in. Um, oh shit! Something. Um, Not green. That card. wasn't the green. Green card was 1990. So, oh, four weddings and a funeral. Of course. Got it. That's, that's um, a banger. Yeah. And then Shirley MacLaine for, um, it's either for... Guarding Tess? Guarding Tess or Mrs. Winterborn, one of the two. Of oh those. my yeah. god. <laughs> I know, I know. Ricky Lake vehicle, Mrs. Winterborn. I know. Uh, Sarandon wins the BAFTA, as I said. That one was all over the place. Linda Fiorentino is nominated for The Last Seduction, rad. Uma Thurman is bumped up from supporting and is nominated for Pulp Fiction. Uh, Irene, Irene Jacob... Or Irene Jacob, perhaps, uh, if we're going to get fancy schmance for uh, Kislovsky's uh, Red. And then SAG, the first year of the SAG Awards, go, Foster wins that. Jessica Lang, Susan Sarandon are nominated. They also nominate Meryl Streep for The River Wild. And then they throw in Meg Ryan for When a Man Loves a Woman, another movie. Another done, movie we've done great performance. And then you talk about the Critics Awards. Linda Fiorentino had won New York. Jessica Lang had won LA, Miranda Richardson had won National Board of Review, and then Jennifer Jason Lee wins National Society. So it really was all over the place in terms of how this lineup was going to coalesce. And like there was wiggle room in that category mm-hmm. that year for Jennifer Jason Lee. And it's um it's a surprise ultimately that she doesn't get in there for it because she was so acclaimed. Yeah. And she's so she's so great in this movie. She plays uh she's I mean, there's really not many actresses who plays like sad but also smarter than you <laughs> like mm-hmm. she does. Mm-hmm. The romance between her and Benchley, the sort of non-romance romance, right? Where they are clearly in love with each other, but they never pursue it and I think they both acknowledge it. I think they both know that they're in love with each other and they know that each other knows. And they sort of make this unspoken decision to never pursue it and be this sort of, you know, platonic, you know, professional. It's almost like, you know, work husband and work wife, even though they only work together at Mm -hmm. the very beginning of this movie. Yeah. Um, but like clearly there's such huge presences in each other's lives. And then she has these she has the marriage to Andrew McCarthy. She has the affair with Matthew Broderick, which ends when she finds him in bed with Gwyneth Paltrow, who is bold 
as hell about she... it when, they, when she walks in. Oh my God. Just her just nude, just being like, you know. Basically... Sitting up in the bed and being like, what and what about it? It's sort of the, uh, the and what about it uh, meme. She also says, what does she say? She says like, um, she acknowledges that like the three of them in the room and she's like, uh, she's like, I'd leave. But I think if, if there's any one of us who's who should leave, it should be the one who already has their clothes on. <laughs> it's like, OK, well, if we're going to be like that. About well, it. yeah. Yowza. And then she ha- right. She has this fling with um, Stephen Baldwin uh, at one point, <laughs> although it, that's, he, 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 that's he the can't joke get about, it like, He's good in the yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, weird yeah. to see a Baldwin brother be good in a movie, but that's the scene where there's this big sort of uh, party at somebody's fancy cliffside uh, home, and like Harpo Marx is there, <laughs> like doing pratfalls and whatnot, and. Um, I think F. Scott Fitzgerald is there at one point, and that's the that's the part where Martha Plimpton and uh, Sam Robards are talking about founding the New Yorker, and like there's like beguiling Stephen Baldwin or whatever, looking you know, nineteen nineties snacky of like us being absolutely gaslit that the Baldwin brothers were the hottest men on earth. <laughs> also I don't think it took Sliver much gaslighting because the they were time. all super hot in that. Are in that they era. though? Are they, think or are so. they like yeah. the, an avatar for a hot person? Like, I just watched Sliver for the first time too, and Billy <laughs> Baldwin in that movie. The absolute utter convincedness that that movie has that he is so hot. He won Most Desirable Male famously from the he MTV did. Movie Awards. That movie was initially supposed to be like, we're gonna show a man's penis, and I was they don't. Billy Baldwin, years old when Sliver my came favorite out. Baldwin. <laughs> we'll say that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, I'll be the one that's just shitting on the Baldwin. No, you know, I mean, episode. no, I mean, they, no, I mean, they, they suck in general. But if you're gonna choose yeah. one, I would say Billy's pretty top tier. Okay. The the stories in you must remember this, where she's essentially just like quoting Sharon Stone's autobiography, and Sharon Stone is shredding Billy Baldwin. She never up mentions and down him by name without mentioning book, him though. him by name. Like, yeah, exactly. She does not mention him by name, but she like unambiguously like tears him to bits. That it's book is funny. really a great read. But oh it sounds God. it from the excerpts. Oh my, like, God. my God! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like oh, I I as a you know, young, closeted, burgeoning homosexual in the 90s. Yeah, the Baldwins were a thing. Like, Baldwin was a shorthand for hot guy in Clueless. You know what I mean? Like, it was, you're such a Baldwin, right? Um, who who uh, am I to question Amy Heckerling? At this this is what I'm saying. This is um, what I'm saying. It was a thing, Chris. It was a thing. The, I, I, do, I am not someone who loves South Park, though. Every time I see a Baldwin that's not Alec Baldwin in a movie, I quote Mr. Garrison in South Park, All the Baldwins are dead! <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was a good Mr. Garrison. Now it's time for Jordan to do no. her. Oh, no. yes, 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 no. we have it's, to hear it's, it. It's been, it's been so long. If we I... can just have a conversation. You will play Dorothy Parker, and I will play <laughs> Mr. Garrison. <laughs> <laughs> what type of conversation would they have had? Oh, my God. I mean, it would just be them being extremely bitchy to each other. Like, Mr. Yeah. Garrison would probably be, oh, I don't know if I ever told you this, but... Um, when I was in grad school at NYU, I was taught by the actual Mr. Garrison uh, that Trey wow. Parker and Matt Stone. His name is Gary Garrison. He is a he is a gay man from this. 
from the um, Midwest <laughs> South. Like what? Yes, Gary Garrison is a real guy, and he what? and he taught theater to me at NYU. And it's really odd when you meet him. He looks exactly the same. The cartoon looks exactly like him. He used to teach Trey Parker and Matt Stone, and so it was yeah, it was based on him. Wow. Did he have a Mr. Hat? I did not hat. know that. No, he did not have a Mr. Hat. He was just like. I mean, the, the show. The show's pretty accurate to, to his like sense wow. of humor. Damn, that's crazy. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> I also jotted down. Uh, she was Jennifer Jason Lee. Actually, this movie was nominated for like several Independent Spirit Awards that year. Five Independent Spirit Awards, and of Awards. course, Lost. it loses all of them because Pulp Fiction. I was going to say, this is this is going to be a common refrain when we talk about uh, Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle in awards season, is it just gets absolutely steamrolled at every occasion by Pulp Fiction. Uh, Indie Spirit Awards is nominated for Best Feature, loses to Pulp Fiction. Best Director, loses to Pulp Fiction. Best Screenplay, loses to Pulp Fiction. Campbell Scott's nominated for Best Male Lead. He loses to Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction. And then Jennifer Jason Leigh loses to Linda Fiorentino in Best Female Lead. So five up, five down for, uh, for Mrs. Parker. What a shitty year to be any other independent any film. Indie. Yep, yep, exactly, exactly. Um, uh, what else did I want to get into? It uh, Jennifer Jason Leigh wins... Oh, again, she wins Best Actress at National Society of Film Critics. What wins Best Film and Best Director there? Pulp Fiction. Um, Paul Newman won Best Actor, I will say, nobody's for Nobody's Fool, a movie that is uh, pretty good, and he's very good in it, I think. Um, do we want to bop over to the Cannes Film Festival? Do we want to bop over to the South of France? Uh, the, uh, if, if we were talking in literal terms, yes, let's all go. <laughs> it never kind of fails to amaze me that the jury president that gave Pulp Fiction the palm was led... The jury president was Clint Eastwood. I, Clint Eastwood, yep. I can't imagine that man watching that movie. That jury's really interesting, because it's Clint Eastwood president, Catherine Deneuve is on that jury, uh, Kazuo Ishiguro is on that jury. And yeah, like you said, they give it to uh, Tarantino for Pulp Fiction. It's a good, it's a pretty good lineup, actually, for uh, for Cannes that year. Sometimes, you, as the farther you go back, it's filmmakers maybe you know of, but maybe, mm-hmm. like, not always they're, like, most well-known. But, like, Hudsucker Proxy, we mentioned. Three Colors Red is there. Um, Kiara Stami is there with Through the Olive Trees. Zhang Yimou for uh, his uh, To Live is there. Exotica, the Adam Agoyan movie. Igoyen. Um, to, <laughs> I love to, Exotica. <laughs> to, I need to see crazy, Exotica. Right? Exotica was a movie that would be on HBO at like 1am. Yeah. And you would stay up because you knew it was about like, it was called Exotica. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and there I remember, was a slight chance you might see a boob. And I remember watching it and I'd be like, this isn't quite what I what I was expecting, but also like I'm intrigued. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was a good movie. Yeah. It was a good movie. Yeah. Edward Yang um, had a movie there. Edward Yang had the uh, uh, Confucian confusion there. Queen Margot was there. Have um, you seen Queen? Have you both seen Queen Margot? I haven't. Queen Talk about Margo. a violent movie. Queen Margot came up at a videology trivia one time as a in the picture round. And I remember I had no idea uh, what movie it was, but I was like, or no, maybe it was the video clip round 
whichever it was, I was like, oh, like I was, eyebrows were raised, but I still haven't seen it. It's also like eight billion hours long, but that's fine. Um, actually, I think it's, it's like very horny and very violent. Every once in a while, a straightforward costume drama will come along that <laughs> is like. Yes, we're doing the costume drama thing, but did you also know that historically we just beheaded people like <laughs> in a royal court? In and a we're royal going court, to give yeah. you that. By the way, people were also very horny then too. That's what Queen Margot is. Queen Margot yeah. is also significant because Vernalisi wins Best Actress at Cannes. Uh, over Jennifer Jason Lee and Jennifer Jason Lee, you know, there's two performances there that they maybe could have given it to her. But Verna yeah. Lisi is not a lead performance it's, in that movie. It's a Isabella Johnny, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's odd. Uh, was it just that she was so such a knockout in that movie? That, I think like, she's they... good in that movie, but when you watch that movie, I think it's somewhat it, it's surprising that she won yeah. at Cannes for the performance. It's not that she's bad; it's just yeah. that they gave her that. Okay. Um, the other really movies, though, movie, though, that perform in either other sections or out of competition, are really telling in terms of like, as I said, like this 1994 is a turning point year. I think for the direction that. Uh, cinema was going and, and eventually uh, American cinema but you have like The Adventures of Priscilla Queen of the Desert and I like it like that and Clerks is at that can and Eat Drink Man Woman and John Waters Serial Mom and I think Muriel's Wedding is at that is at that can Muriel's and Wedding's in Director's Fortnite yeah yes so it's all of these movies that would kind of bubble up in the American indie scene in one way or another that were pushing things towards where they would go for the rest of that decade. And um, it's really interesting. I think it's fascinating that, like, Clerks played at Cannes. You know what I mean? For as much for, you know, where we ended up settling on with Kevin Smith's filmmaker. Catherine Deneuve to watch Clerks. Like, it it feels a little profane. (laughs) Well, it wasn't in main competition, but she, you know, was probably, she was there, maybe she saw it, maybe she liked it. But, like, (laughs) Clerks was seen as an important indie film. Yeah. If only for the way it came to be. You know what I mean? Such a low budget. Financed on credit cards. You know, films you know, on a weekend at the, at the mini mart or whatever. Um, and it was received as kind of a sensation in terms of like, there just weren't movies like that Mm -hmm. back then. There weren't movies that were that sort of like loose and conversational and vulgar and whatever that anybody beyond real hardcore cinephiles would have seen, you know what I mean? Like that was a break into a, you know, a foot into the mainstream for a lot of people. And like me who like, I wasn't some like 12 year old, you know, cinephile or anything like that. Like those were the movies that introduced me to indie film mm-hmm. and, yeah. and sort of like got me on the road to all this stuff. So really interesting year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, I, of course, was too young to be there, but I did watch a sure. lot of those. 
when I was of the age and Clerks was a big movie for me, which, by the way, y'all should watch the documentary Chasing Chasing Amy and not just because my friend made it, but... I do need to watch that. I do want to see this. Yeah. 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 It's very interesting because they talk about Clerks coming out and it being very popular and Guinevere Turner is also there talking about Go Fish and how it wasn't as popular and, like, there's a lot of interesting (laughs) stuff because it's not just about the movie. It's kind of, like, about, like, how the movie overshadowed the women. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that, there's stuff about that in the Peter Biskind book too. The uh, uh, Down and Dirty Pictures, which is the one about the rise of indie film in Miramax, that talks about that same kind of thing. How movies like Go Fish and Gas Food Lodging and stuff like that were overshadowed by Clerks because Clerks was, you know, very aggressively marketed. Um, but no, I've been dying for a queer reevaluation of Chasing Amy because I find that movie is. So fascinating. I've talked about this on the podcast I, before, so I won't go you along. Got, like, yes. That movie was hugely important to me. Yes, me and, too. Yeah. Yeah. And like in ways that like I still go back and watch it and I'm like, well, of course, so much of this seems so very like made by a straight filmmaker. But there's also stuff that like is kind of ahead of its time in the way that it would talk about like talking about like weirdly like intersectionality gets like d- it's broached in Chasing Amy by Kevin Smith. It it does feel like, for as much as it's like made by a straight filmmaker, it's made by a straight filmmaker who is like honestly curious and not just like just asking questions, which has become like so turned into something ugly. It really felt like Kevin Smith was open-mindedly being like, I would like to know more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The doc it's interesting. Yeah, the doc gets into like all of that. So I gotta see. Yeah, it. I gotta see. Yeah. It. yeah, and I was at the I was at the party for it at Tribeca, and I met the actor who played Hooper, and he is. Oh. I love him so. What's his name? Dwight. Much. Dwight. Ewell? Yeah, he yep. was so. Yeah. He was like just such a sweetie. I was just like I watched this movie for the first time when I was twelve, and I loved you. And he was like very oh. very. Ch- oh. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. Oh, I love that for you. That's fantastic. <laughs> I will absolutely be watching that movie. Yeah. So thank yeah. you for the recommendation. <laughs> awesome. Um, Chris, what else do you want to get into? There's a lot we can talk about. Um, I, I mean, like, I opened this with a can you ever forgive me joke. I was surprised to see that this movie pairs so well with can you ever forgive me in a way yeah. that, you know, it, it, and like, of course, you know, Dorothy Parker's a great, you know, subject of the people that Lee Israel plagiarized to, right uh, to kind of center on in that movie because of the kind of parallels in their life, you know, Dorothy Parker, who, you know, or uh, uh, Lee Israel, who is kind of ultimately ostracized from her community of, you know, or like, you know, not as welcomed into a writerly community, the certain level of depression and melancholy that uh, afflicted both of their lives. And, uh, yeah, I, I I just want to talk about Can You Ever Give Me a Little Bit because I love that movie. I, I love that. also love that movie. And I didn't even make the connection until you said it. And now I, I have to rewatch Can You Ever Forgive Me now. Because, I mean, I love it, obviously. But uh, Who's right. the other one in that, that movie, movie who she had... It's so good. <laughs> who's the other major one in that movie that she had uh, no coward. pitched? No Coward. Yes, but who was the one who she pitches the... the 
biography to Jane Curtin, and Jane Curtin's like, nobody oh, Fanny gives Bryce. a shit. No Fanny one Bryce. is gonna publish a book on Fanny Bryce. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jane Curtin. So good. So good. In that movie. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to go, I'm going through my notes to see what we haven't gotten to yet. Um, the one quote I wrote down, I could have like, you, you could write down everything that gets said in this movie, the quote, but um, who is she talking to when she says, I think my version, oh, it's Freud, when she's, when she meets, uh, when she gets analyzed in this movie by, that's supposed to be Freud, right? That's yeah, the, I mean, yeah, that's the whole idea. I assume so, yeah. yeah. He's got the beard, right? Um, and he, like, he, like, brings her into a room and, like, has her lie down on the couch and does the whole like, you know, trying to analyze her. And eventually she's just like, I'm good. She says, I think my version of pain is more fun than yours, which is a really like, <laughs> that's a, that's a good line. Um, I thought that whole thing was so funny. Um, and then the postscript to this movie, which like, they don't really ever prepare you for it anyway that she left all of her money to Martin Luther King Jr. And that if you look at the end uh, in the credits, all of her like poems that they, that they quote in the movie are like made available courtesy by the NAACP. So like there's <laughs> like, that's where the ownership of that uh, uh, resides. I thought that was very cool. That was part of the like, Oh, I would love to see you know this made as a TV show because like little avenues like that. I'm like, tell me more. I would, like, I would love, yeah. <laughs> would love to know how that happened. I remember seeing that, like even just like as like a teenager and being like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> like that's kind of fascinating to me. It's just like this, like you know, revenue stream for the NAACP. Yeah. is licensing out Dorothy Parker poetry. Love like, that. That's and, you know, she left that with intentionality in her yeah. will. Um, yeah, that's yeah, not that's really cool. explored by the movie in a way that I think they just have the one quote where she right. talks about like what do you hate in the culture and she's like segregation um, and that's kind of really the only uh, thing that's mentioned in there but it's very interesting also Cindy Lauper shows up in this movie yes. for like half a second <laughs> that was great I loved that I thought that was so fun also, the first time I saw Rebecca Miller in this movie, and like I've seen Re Rebecca Miller in things, I know what she looks like. The first time I saw her, I was like, "Is that Jane Krakowski?" Because like I don't know why, I, mean, I don't know what made me think that, but it was like, "Is this Jane Krakowski?" Like early Jane Krakowski, like before maybe a procedure or two. Like who knows? I don't know. I don't know. Um, Rebecca but I was Miller. Like, oh, uh, I love her. Her newest movie uh, opened Berlin this year, and I heard nothing about it, so maybe it's not good. And I guess it's yeah. getting released, I think, by the same people that released to Leslie, so we won't probably oh, get to see wow. it until, you know, there's so, suddenly five Oscar nominated for it. Um, uh, you know what Rebecca Miller's like really good Peter in? Dinklage, Anne Hathaway, and I'm like, why have we oh, not shit. heard anything about this movie? You know what Rebecca Miller's really good in? Meyerowitz stories. Yes, yes. It's true, it's I true. I really like her in that. I really like her in that movie. Uh, she is also in Consenting Adults, which I watched because of this season. Oh. Of, uh, you must remember this. What a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it. 
I feel what like a I, bad movie. I feel like I've never finished it. Like, I, usually if I'm starting anything erotic that has to do with, like, a bunch of, like, white people lying to each other or whatever, it's, like, very easy for me to get through it. But I actually don't know if I've ever... It says that I've watched it on Letterboxd, but I don't believe well, that. <laughs> because, well, the movie's, like, 90 minutes long. It goes by way too fast for what it is, and there is absolutely zero internal logic to the movie. And, like... Kevin Spacey's house is like red velvet walls. It is exactly what you think Kevin Spacey's house would look like. Oh uh, my god. Just in the world. It, it it's the movie is ridiculous. It's maybe like the definitive text for me of movies I'm annoyed by because heterosexuals think that monogamy is the most interesting thing about their relationship. Oh, uh, they sure do. That is exactly what that movie is about. <laughs> um, but like it what that's a weird weird movie yeah yeah um but yeah i'll be excited to see her next movie whenever i can see it yeah same i feel um, like my closing note on yeah. this movie is it's a i mean like it's great that we do actually have quote oscar nominee comma jennifer jason lee now uh but I just hate that her Oscar nomination is for The Hateful I Eight, I, a yeah. movie that I hate so much. I hate it. And I don't like her in it. It's endless. It's endless. It was like hell. Like, watching it was like, yeah. it felt like uh-huh. I was in hell. <laughs> it, I mean, it's just, well, and I, I don't like saying I didn't like that Jennifer Jason Lee performance because I do think she is one of our, our best. I love that. Yeah. Like, she's feels like she's in a moment of like being celebrated and partly because you know Criterion Channel just did a ton of her movies like all together in one and it's like her career spans so many decades and like look at all these performances that while I think she has a definitive stamp as a performer I don't Mm -hmm. think she has many performances that are alike Um, yeah well it's so funny because she kind of got pegged as um the actress who played a lot of prostitutes for a while because she played in both Last Exit to Brooklyn and Miami Blues. She's playing a sex worker. There are after <laughs> uh, Chris, you'll enjoy this. Um, after she did Miami Blues and Last Exit to Brooklyn, Entertainment Weekly called her quote the Meryl Streep of bimbos. End quote. One oh, guess as to off. who. One guess as to who provided my nemesis. That, I quote. guarantee you, it was my nemesis. He hates women so much. Yeah, it's an Owen Gleiberman quote. Of course it is. I went to go check it, and I'm like, do I even need to check it? Of course I know who wrote this. Of course I know. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, like she, I think for a while she was playing, she also plays obviously a phone sex operator in Shortcut. So I think that, um, but she sort of goes through kind of eras, right? Where like, I guess you can compare things like Rush and Georgia and these sort of like very kind of, extreme and then like now she's she went through the fact that like both in the cut and Margot at the wedding she's playing like troubled sisters whose names are Pauline it's very interesting to I me. wrote about um, that <laughs> it's an interesting it's an interesting coincidence and then like lately she's kind of played um uh doctors like in laboratory settings like annihilation. in annihilation and is she the one in um Speaking of Andrea Riseborough, she's in um, Possessor. Yeah, Possessor, right? Yeah. Yes. yeah. Okay. Yes. She's also a, a a 
a laboratory doctor, I believe, in that movie Morgan. She the, is, uh, yeah. Anya Taylor Joy movie. So like, <laughs> I need that's, to see this Morgan movie. I, she kind of goes through these phases. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Morgan yeah. is like the jump scare of this podcast lately. When else did it's Morgan true. come up? With? She was on somebody's IMDb game recently, uh, sure, and I can't sure. remember who. But yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> also, recommendation to watch the anniversary party, which she co-wrote and co-directed oh, yeah, with Alan Cumming. That's a fun one. That's it's a, a really fun, fun Gwyneth movie. performance. Basically, Gwyneth yeah. playing Gwyneth. Yeah. A lot of people from uh, Mrs. Parker are in that movie, because Jane Addams is also in that movie. And I think Martha Plimpton also may be in that movie. So it's like, you get the feeling that, like, again, these are all people who, I'm sure they all, like, grew up together and went to, like, you know, whatever, Harvard Westlake together or whatever the fuck. Um, Jennifer Jason Lee being a stage door mannequin is so funny to me because I'm imagining her, this is the the um, performing arts camp in upstate New York, which um, the movie Camp is based on. The currently upcoming movie Theater Camp is essentially based on. Um, I'm just imagining like 10-year-old Jennifer Jason Lee in like some kind of, you know, uh, Edward Albee's <laughs> play. You know what I mean? Like doing like Who's a Fader Virginia Wolf as a 10 year old. Um, that's the last line of camp is Anna Kendrick uh, as uh, Elizabeth Taylor's character in, in Virginia Wolf walking into the room and going, What a dump! And it's like, boom, and like movie ends. <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's fascinating. All right. Yeah. Should we talk about the IMDb game finally? Uh, yes, we can. Um, Actually, before we do, Jordan, any final thoughts on uh, on Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle? Hmm. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. I <laughs> I love that. Like near the end, like when she's like running out of guys, she just like turns to like James Legros, and she was just like, "Have we ever touched?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that scene. <laughs> That's a great one. I hadn't even thought about that. That's so funny. And there are those like parties where you might like have like a weird sideways glance at a friend and you're like, "Should we?" No. Yeah. We Those I mean, are fun. We could try. Those are no. fun parties. Yeah. I like this happens parties. to me yeah. constantly. <laughs> <laughs> Now we will do the IMDb game. Mm. Um, Joe, would you like to explain what the IMDb game is? You know I would love to. Uh, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with the name of an actor or actress, and we try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mentioned that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue, and if that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. That's the IMDb game. Sure is. All right, Jordan. As our guest, you obviously get the choice to uh, give or guess first, but you also get to choose who you're giving to or guessing from. Okay. Um, you. Okay. Are you giving to me or am I giving to you? Um, <laughs> giving, guessing. I don't. I don't know. Giving. Okay. Or, no, am I guessing or? I'll give to you. Okay, we got it. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So for you, I chose a fun one. Uh, also, kind of sad because of recent stories, but 
hopefully fun for IMDb game. I went into Alan Rudolph's filmography. Alan Rudolph directed an adaptation of Vonnegut's Breakfast of Champions that was kind of a major disaster, but starring one Bruce Willis. So for you, I've chosen Bruce Willis. There is one TV show. Hmm... I was very happy to see the TV show show up on his uh, known for. Oh, Moonlighting? It's Moonlighting. Moonlighting is on his known for. How great is that? I love that for him. Um, hmm. Die Hard? Die Hard, correct. Uh, Sixth Sense? The Sixth Sense, you are one guess away from a perfect guess on Bruce Willis. I know the the pressure gets to be a lot when you're so close. We just had we almost had it where we almost had a perfect episode. Was that one when Lewis was on Joe? Yeah, and yeah, I was the people. one who yeah. fucked it up. We almost all three of us would have had a perfect score. It was that it was, was fun. A thing. That was fun. Hmm. I feel like uh, I'm trying to think what other one it would be. Because I mean, there's so many to choose from. Do I get a hint or do I guess first? Uh, I I'll give you the hint to say it's a movie we've mentioned already on this episode. Oh, Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Pulp Fiction. Nice. Isn't it known good. for? That's a good known for. I think Pulp Fiction is weird considering you know Bruce Willis. There are multiple stars of Pulp Fiction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, like, I don't jump to Bruce Willis when I think of Pulp Fiction. Yeah, no, I I recently watched Hudson Hawk. I wish he was known for that. Oh, sure. (laughs) Okay, how is that? It's really weird in a way that I found, like, charming. The fact that everybody's, like, named after candy and there's, like, singing Danny Aiello, always a pleasure. That movie starts yeah. with a musical number, right? Because I, I remember think so. that, that's one of those movies where it starts on on cable TV, and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Like, what's going on here? And then I find out it's Hudson Hawk, and I'm like, oh, this was this big bomb. Like, this was yeah. To be- he's constantly singing. Like, I remember the kind of songs that we would sing in like a middle school chorus, where he's like he's singing like "Swing on a Star." You know, <laughs> and I just like I immediately was just like, "Am I thirteen again?" Like this is crazy. <laughs> Bruce Willis had a funny. whole separate music career too. Like we forget this. Yeah, oh, that's so funny. He also, if you read Demi Moore's memoir, my favorite memoir to bring up, she talks about how he and John Goodman and Woody Harrelson would like hang out, and they were like like a pack of bros. <laughs> Wow. I love this bro pack. (laughs) I feel like there was a fourth, but those are the three that I remember. I just like, because I just, can you imagine? I want to, I'd watch a movie with Bruce Willis, John Goodman, and Woody Harrelson now. I mean, put them in a waiting for Godot situation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is funny. (laughs) All right. So you now give to Joe, whoever you have pulled up. 
<laughs> sure. Um, uh, this almost seems like a hard one, but it immediately came to my mind because when I see Campbell Scott, I immediately think of singles because um, that was maybe one of the first times I had seen him. And when I think of singles, I think of Kira Sedgwick. <laughs> oh, Kira Sedgwick, sure. Uh, famous star of singles. Okay. Um, and it's all movies, or is there any television? Let me see. I would, there's one I, television. I would assume. There's I would assume there's one television, considering the it's one. It's got to be the closer. Yeah, absolutely, the closer. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So the closer is there. I'm gonna guess singles, actually. No. No. Incorrect. No singles. Kira Sedgwick. Something to talk about. Yes. Okay. Uh, Phenomenon? Yes. Okay, one more. (laughs) Curious. Uh, Heart and Souls. No. Damn it, it should be. What an excellent guess, but no. It it should be. No, this one, I mean, (laughs) she is... She is the co-star in this, but she's not on the poster, which I think is important. Okay. And it's 2004. Yeah. 2004. Oh, is it The Woodsman? Yes. Oh, God. The Woodsman. I think that's also on Kevin Bacon's known for. It's very strange. Didn't he direct it, too? Yes. No. He's like, I'm going to direct myself as a pedophile. That wasn't wasn't him. Um, It was somebody named Nicole Castle. Oh, okay. Oh. I do remember he might have produced it, maybe though. I remember yeah. it being like this very bit. Like he want he was he very much wanted to make. He this wanted movie he wanted to play this pedophile. He really yeah. really did. I still haven't watched it, even though like it seems like something I would have watched <laughs> at some point. That's one of those things that it's like we could do that for this podcast, but I don't, we don't want. Would do you that. want to? Yeah. Like, we got yeah. we got Mo's Def in there. <laughs> oh wow, Mo's Def, good actor. Yeah. Um, but That's so yeah, we, you won't have a this had Oscar buzz woodsman episode. Mm. I doubt it. No. I doubt it. <laughs> All right, Chris, for you, yeah. I have chosen somebody who we've never done. So I also went through the Alan Rudolph filmography. He directed a film called Mortal Thoughts. Speaking of Bruce Willis, was in Mortal Thoughts, uh, starring uh, Demi Moore, but also starring Mr. Harvey Keitel, who we've never oh. done before. <gasps> yes. See, for Harvey Keitel, is his one Oscar nomination for Bugsy in there? And I feel like it's probably... Eh, I'll say it, Bugsy. Nope. No. Incorrect. Yeah, I should have followed my instinct. Taxi Driver. No. No, not Taxi Driver. Wow! All right. Okay. Really so your out. years are two movies from 1992. The Piano. No, that's 1993. Okay. Uh, two from 92, one from 94, and then one from 2014. Not the, the piano is not on there? One of those has to be Bad Lieutenant. Yes, Bad Lieutenant is one of the 92s. Okay. Um, 2000 what? 14. Okay, what are those? Uh, is Reservoir Dogs. Correct, that's your other 92. Pulp Fiction. Yes, that's your 94. All right, so 2014, Harvey Keitel. Is it youth? No, that was 2015. Ugh, what a piece of shit. Um, This one is actually kind of hard. (laughs) It is. Is it like a big ensemble? Yes, it is. That he's randomly in? Yes, correct. 
2014, what could that be? It's not Prairie Home Companion. Nope. Um, no, that's 06. Why did I why did I assume that's 2014? Um, large ensemble from 2014. That yes. is the year of trying to remember movies from 2014. I <laughs> yeah. It's a good what are what are certain ways that you would remember what are the movies from 2014? Uh <laughs> not huge ensemble movies except for like Gone Girl. No, but I mean like if you wanted like oh I got to think of what were the movies from 2014, what are like the your what are your entry points for that? Uh, still Alice and Gone Girl. Uh, <laughs> I am who I am. You're, you're thinking I, right, but that's what I mean. Like, what what category of movies would be like a good way to start? Like, when you're thinking of, I got to think of the movies from 2014. What like blockbusters? What Oscar movies? Oscar movies. Yes. Okay. Go so this that. is an Oscar movie. Yeah. That he is in 2014. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not Argo. Argo's 2012. Mm-mm. Yep. Mm-mm. 2014 the is the year of Oh, is Birdman. he in The Artist? No. No, that's 2011. You're in the wrong God, year. You're this in the wrong year. I've uh, not done this poorly in a while. Um, I mean, I, I almost want to give you a It's a Best hint. Picture nominee <laughs> from 2014. Okay. From 2014. Those are... Um, Wait, is it five? No, it's not five nominees. It's multiple nominees. So you have the theory of everything. You have, um, what the hell won? Um, Birdman. Birdman's twenty fifteen. No, that oh, it's Birdman. Okay, so it's the Birdman year. Yeah. What was the second tier to Birdman winning? I believe it was actually the nomination leader. Okay. Or tied with Birdman for the nomination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Holy smokes, what movie? It won a few of the Crafts Awards. Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah! There you go. Grand Budapest, Grand Hotel. Budapest Hotel. Yeah. <laughs> he is in that movie. He's he in the is. prison scene. Yeah. yeah. I just did my whole big. I would have uh, never guessed that for him. I did my whole big Wes Anderson. Uh, performance ranking and that doesn't show up but I, you know what does from Harvey Keitel is he's very briefly in Isle of Dogs he's in like two scenes he's so good <laughs> in his two <laughs> scenes in Isle of Dogs um, my condolences to you for having funny. to rewatch Isle of Dogs um, I will say almost everything that I rewatched for that project I ended up liking better than I had before, including Grand Budapest, which was a movie that I didn't really get the first time around, and I liked it a lot better. And I liked Isle of Dogs a good bit better the second time around, too. I really did not care for that movie the first time. So, it's still not my favorite of his, but um, watching them all together, I'm in a very, like, Wes Anderson place right now. Like, I really, my my (laughs) respect levels for him as an artist is really Yeah, I need to see Asteroid City again. Well, yeah, apparently too. it's coming on to VOD in like a day. Uh, so I hate by it. the time this episode is out, it'll probably already be on uh, VOD. Which is I feel like things like stupid. that are a sign that they're actually making a shit ton of money off of VOD, but we'll just never know. Maybe. Because, like, you're just leaving so much money on the table to do that. It's but, doing like, well. It's doing well in our To me, release. it says maybe they are actually making a lot of money off 
movies on VOD. I hope it makes, like, I just want people to see it, man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I want people to see it and talk about it and for it to, like, behave like a real movie. Yeah. And I was so I was so completely surprised by how moved I was by that movie. It really yeah. hits you. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, that is our episode. If you want more of This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. Uh, you should also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz and on Instagram at thisheadoscarbuzz. Jordane, thank you so much for coming thank back. Thank you so I'm much. I'm so glad we finally got to talk about this movie. Yes. Because one you love. Yes, I'm so, I'm so happy. I'm very energized, even though I'm about to watch the final season of The Sopranos as soon as we get off. But like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that'll knock the wind out of me but it's good <laughs> uh well once again thank you so much for coming back and bringing this movie to us uh tell our listeners where they can find more of you you can find me on twitter and instagram at judy squirrels i'm on letterboxd at riot glasses um i actually updated my website so if you type in jordanesquirrels.com it actually takes you to a place that doesn't look like shit <laughs> 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 it's, it's incredible so yeah nice uh, Joe, great. where can the listeners find more of you? Oh, Twitter and Letterboxd at Joe Reed. Reed spelled R-E-I-D. Uh, I'm also on Twitter and Letterboxd at Crispy File. That's F-E-I-L. And recently, Blue Ski. In case I have abandoned <laughs> Twitter as I have wanted to do by the time that this episode airs. Oh, Famous yeah. Famous Jessica Lang movie, Blue Ski. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'd like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and David Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get those podcasts. Five Star Review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So find us in the bathroom of Apple Podcasts and say, hey, I kind of like you. Should we do this? Uh, <laughs> that's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Oh,